My messages get longer as I listen to some of these preachers on the radio. <laughs> I feel like, my goodness, there's just so much misinformation going on out there. And people need to know the truth about God's gift of eternal life. When our Savior was born, He came to give us a gift. And once you receive that gift, He does not take it back from you. Let's stand as we give reverence to the reading of Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verse number 6 and 7, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is speaking as a prophet concerning, I hear a, quite a bit of talking, and that uh, maybe it's my, the echo of my voice, but anyway, if I could have your <clears throat> attention, because what I have to say this morning uh, is something I sincerely believe that the Lord has put on my heart to share with you as uh, every time I stand up here and speak from the Word of God, I believe God has me here for a purpose. But there are some things that God puts a very strong passion in my heart about, and I uh, couldn't help but think as the Lord just kept putting uh, more uh, thought into my mind about certain passages of Scripture, uh, things that normally I don't think about, and all of a sudden they pop up, and I, I, I have to assume that God has put those thoughts there as He aligns the message. As we understand from Isaiah, he's a prophet. He's speaking concerning God's judgment upon the surrounding nations and upon the people of Israel. And in the midst of speaking about God's judgment that is forthcoming upon the, uh, the tribes of Israel, especially Ephraim, and the surrounding people of that day and time, he just throws this prophecy into the mix of everything that he's saying. It doesn't seem to go along with anything else that he's talking about, but uh, God put it there for a reason. He says in verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And he will, and he has, and there is more to be fulfilled. Heavenly Father, bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Isaiah gave this prophecy some 700 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've read here, the promise that was given was a promise that God gave under the anointing of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not the words of Isaiah, it's the words of God, as God has given promise through Isaiah that a child would be born and that his name would tell of his character and also give us the hope of uh, tomorrow. And so as we look at uh, this passage of Scripture, we want to look at each one of these names that will be given to this child that is to be born as we read later through that of a virgin. That first of all, he is worthy uh, as one that we would wonder at. We... Uh, know of no one that has ever been born such as he was born. His birth is a great wonder. To think that God would bring about his child, his only begotten son, in such a matter. That he would choose a humble young lady 
young girl, virgin, that had never been married, but yet she was a spouse to be married. To be married unto a young man by the name of Joseph, two godly young Hebrew children that were faithful to the Lord and had been faithful to each other. And the angels of the Lord would come and announce what was going to happen. And to read that story and to realize how marvelous that story is. To understand that God, through the matrix of a young virgin lady, gave birth to his only begotten son. And God had revealed the announcement of his birth to some lowly shepherds as they were abiding over their sheep in a field not far from uh, this inn outside of uh, this city called the city of David, the place of bread, Bethlehem, as they were abiding over their sheep on the hillside. And they were summoned to go see, and so they went. After hearing an angelic choir sing and the host of heaven celebrating. And so they went, to, they went to see. And then the Lord revealed all the way is probably somewhere in the land far away that we might consider to be Iraq today. Uh, some magi, Arabian wise men who probably had studied from the book of Daniel, chapter 9, and was able to interpret that that passage of Scripture was the fulfillment in the 62nd week of Daniel's prophecy concerning the coming of a Messiah. And so they came to present gifts unto him. And so the child was born. What a wonderful story. And then to read about the life of this man read that he was raised by a stepfather that was a carpenter. And so, basically, we call him the carpenter's son. And then at the age of 30, he begins his ministry. And immediately, he begins performing miracles, turning water into wine, walking on water, raising up those that were dead, giving healing to those uh, that had no sight and those that had no hearing, cleansing those that were plagued with leprosy, uh, undisputable miracles that others saw and wrote about. And then he was put to death, but as he promised, he raised up his own body. And then some 40 days later, as he met with them just outside of Galilee, as they were there watching, he ascended up into heaven as he promised them uh, that he would go away. But he gave them the commission that he would go away. And so, excuse me, not Galilee, but there at a place called the Mount of Olivet. As he met with them in Galilee and instructed them, and then later they watched him, a number of about 500 as he ascended up into heaven. And then suddenly two angels appeared and said, This same Jesus that you've seen ascend into heaven will like matter come again. All of this we just read from Isaiah. And when he comes again, he's going to establish his government. And he will reign over the earth. And all this is a wonder. And it happened 2,000 years ago. And as a result of what has happened uh, we measure time from that event. We don't measure time from the event of Buddha. We don't measure time from the event of Muhammad. But we have measured time from this event, from the event of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made such an impact upon the world uh, that uh, we celebrate his birth all around the world during this time of the year. We celebrate his resurrection as that time approaches all around the world. And uh, we constantly hear those that believe that he is coming again. And though his message has proliferated from that tiny little old place called Jerusalem, 
that's just a spot on the globe, and yet he has spread around the entire world over and over and over again. And yet there are literally millions of people, perhaps a few billion, that have put their faith in him, yet he is the most hated of all. And those that have put their faith in him down through the annals of time have been the most persecuted of all. And God's elect, his chosen people for which he came from, they have been set out by the various nations of the world to bring about their genocide more than any other people in the world. And so we marvel at these things. We wonder at these things. He is worthy of our wonder. If you take your Bible and you flip over to Psalms 118, we read in Psalms 118, beginning at verse number 22, that the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. There's nothing more marvelous. There's not one thing, excuse me, as marvelous as the Lord Jesus Christ. We marvel at the fact that our faith in Him has given us a hope that no one else could give to us. Our faith in Him, as we marvel at the fact that He came to be our Savior, has cleared our conscience and giving us the understanding that there's life beyond the grave and there's a city called Jerusalem in heaven and it's the new Jerusalem, and that one day we will walk through those pearly gates and we will stand in His presence. And we have that assurance. And, and that assurance is in the hearts of millions of people around the world as we rejoice and we give marvel to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we put our faith in Him, we understand that He is the divine counselor. He has our Savior that went to a cross and was crucified and put to death and was buried and then arose from the grave the third day and then ascended into heaven, ascended into heaven to do a job for us, to become the propitiation for our sins, to stand before the heavenly Father as the accuser of the brethren, Satan comes before him, reminding him of our sins and yet Jesus stands as our high priest and advocates on our behalf. And without ceasing, from the moment that he stepped into the throne room of Almighty God, through his precious blood, he continues to atone our sins to assure us of eternal redemption. That we have been set apart, sanctified forever. And so therefore we glorify in the majesty of what he is doing. And to assure us that these things are true, the moment we put our faith in him as promised, he has sent his spirit to dwell within our hearts. And though God's spirit is one spirit because he represents the third part of the Godhead, of the Almighty, yet the spirit of this one most holy God and most holy spirit dwells within my heart and your heart at the same time and billions of hearts around the world to guide us in righteousness, to reprove us of sin, to convict us when we do wrong and to prompt us from all danger that we may step into. These are things that we marvel at. And to know that when we do wrong, that we have an advocate with the Father. That when we fail and we stumble and we fall, that we have a Savior in heaven who represents us as our advocate, who stands before the Heavenly Father as our high priest, who forever will continue to atone us while we are here in this mortal world and these mortal bodies who understands what we're going through because he also came into this world and took upon himself mortal flesh. And so therefore we are told that we have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings 
which cannot, I want to put the emphasis, cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have not. He can be touched because he was there. We don't have a high priest that doesn't understand us. We don't have a high priest that hasn't gone through what we've gone through. No, we have a high priest. That's why the Bible makes it very clear that we have not a high priest. There were priests in those days that lived in aviance. They lived with all the glandeur and all the fame that was brought to them that didn't understand what the people went through. But we have a high priest that can understand because he went through those things. He was despised and he was rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And so he understands what we're going through. And therefore the Bible says, Though in all points he was tempted like as we are yet without sin. But we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Because we have such a one who cares for us. And as the Lord Jesus Christ had promised, that once we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of truth has come and taken residence within our hearts and our minds. As Jesus has prophesied that when he comes, he will not speak of himself, for he will show us things to come and he will not glorify himself, but he will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. For he will receive of mine and show it unto you. And how wonderful it is to know that the Holy Spirit of God has taken residence in our heart. And that we have an understanding that God has given to us. We sit down with our Bible in hand. We begin to read and the Holy Spirit begins to guide us in those truths. And to reveal truths that other people cannot see. How wonderful it is to think. As the Apostle Paul assured us that the Holy Spirit is a witness to us. That all of these wonders that we spoke about are factual. That the reality of Christ and where He is at. And the Spirit of God dwelling within us is all a testimony that God has put within our hearts to give us a witness of our salvation, to assure us that we are children of God, that we have been born of the Spirit of God, that the moment we put our faith in Christ, somehow we realize that we died with Him, and we were buried with Him, and we are risen now to walk in newness of life, and somehow we know these things to be true. We cannot explain them. We don't understand them. But we know that these truths are real. Because we are told that spirit itself will bear witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. We understand those that have not the spirit of Christ. They do not have the witness of Christ. The witness of man is good. But the witness of God is greater. And God has given us the assurance that we have eternal life. All of these come because of the divine counselor that seeks to guide us into all truth. His name is not only called wonderful, the mighty counselor or counselor, but he's also called the mighty God. When we think of the mighty God, we think of the the Hebrew name for which the mighty God was interpreted from. El Gabor. El Gabor gives us the understanding that he is our great and mighty hero. That he came to rescue us from sin. That he came and he went to a cross and there at that cross he was able to provide for us redemption ex agoroso to buy us out of the marketplace. That we were sold into the marketplace because of sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ through his redemptive power by his vicarious blood that was offered up as a substitute for us. The Lord Jesus Christ 
is able because of the effectiveness of his blood, because it is so efficacious to wash us from all of our sins, he is able to deliver us and set us free. The word latu means to set free from the slave market of sin. How wonderful that is. Therefore, it is by the power of Almighty God, El Gabor, that the Apostle Peter could write in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 4, that we have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, an inheritance that's reserved in heaven for you, for those who are kept by the power of God, by the power of God through nothing more than our faith, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Through faith unto salvation. One day very soon to be revealed when we stand before Him. As we live out this life in these carnal bodies that are destined for death, our Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that God has given unto us, has sealed us until the day of redemption and assure us that He is there to protect us. We read in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 13 that we are to take on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand. There's an evil day that's coming to withstand in the evil day. And he says, having done all to stand, the armor of God is, first of all, as we understand, the Word of God. The Spirit of God and the Word of God are synonymous. We walk in the Spirit and we walk in the Word. We sing in the Spirit and we sing through the Word. Ephesians talks about the Word. Colossians talks about the Spirit. And they're synonymous. And we have victory and we have power to overcome our temptations. And there's an evil day coming and it will come. And Satan is out to do everything that he can to trip you and cause you to fall. But God has given us a wonderful gift. The gift of salvation. The gift of his Holy Spirit. The gift that secures us. The gift of his Holy Word. A word that was written over some 1,500 years by more than 40 authors numbering some 66 books that we call the Old and New Testament. It is all given by the inspiration of God and the Spirit of God. It is called the Word. The Word that builds faith as we read in Romans 10 verse number 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That is God's gift to you. Jesus Christ said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. We beheld Him as the only begotten of the Son of God, full of grace and truth. We have that Word dwelling within us. We need not that no man teach us, because the Spirit of God will guide us into all truth. The Word is alive. It gives discernment. As we read in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, that the Word of God is quick and sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword. It's able to cut deep within the heart and within the soul, the Bible says. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word, the Word that keeps us clean, Jesus Christ said in John chapter 15 and verse number 3, You are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. This is God's gift to us. We have such a wonderful gift. It is the power of God which strengthens us. All that is required of us is to put our faith in Him. We must understand that what God calls us to do, He enables us. He enables us through His love. He enables us through His power to forgive. 
He enables us through his power to witness. He gives to us the character of humility. He eradicates the pride and he lifts us up in humility and gives us power to serve him so that we can say with the Apostle Paul, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I'm instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Why? I can do this because I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The gift of Christ strengthens me and gives me the ability to overcome the hate that comes from my hard carnal flesh. To give me the ability to love those that are unloving. Those things that I could never do, God puts within my heart. God gives me ability and the love and the concern and the boldness to go into the highways and the byways and the streets and the lanes of the city and talk to strangers and tell them about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are things that I had not had before. God gives me the power and the ability through Him to overcome the hate and the offenses that were brought against me as a child growing up. To find forgiveness in my heart that I did not have, but through Him now I'm able to do. The power of God, the Almighty God, assures us that through His ascension and through His going into heaven, that He's not only there as my high priest, but He's there as the master carpenter, and He's building me a place. Abraham sought for a city whose builder and maker is God. Well, that builder, maker, he lives within my heart. And not only does he live within my heart, he's ascended into heaven to build me a place. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If I, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. We know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The apostle Paul, as he quoted from Isaiah, talked about that place that God had prepared. He was caught up after being stoned outside of the city of Lystra and left for dead and perhaps did die. And found himself caught up into the third heavens and saw things that are unspeakable for his mortal tongue to, order, to utter unto us. But he did write and he did say, I have not seen, ear had not heard, neither has thought entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Oh, the master builder, the almighty God has a great surprise for you. He's our everlasting father. The everlasting father comes from the word Abba Adah, which means the eternal father. He loves us with an unconditional love. We read in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 37 through verse number 39, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If a saved person could lose God's eternal redemption that was provided by the precious blood of the Lamb that was poured out to cleanse us from all of our sins, if we could lose that wonderful redemption and justification for which He was raised to stand before God, and to present us through His redeeming blood just as though we had never sinned. Amen. And to set us apart for all of eternity through His perfection by making us perfect through His precious blood. 
that we may be acceptable in His sight. If it was possible for us to lose such redemption and justification and sanctification through a willful sin, then it would be lost forever. We that would lose such a thing as some people teach would no longer be that new man. God has promised that the moment we put our faith in Christ, we are no longer in Adam, but we are now in Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse number 41. We read by the Apostle Paul there in Romans chapter 5 that the Lord Jesus Christ, when He went to the cross, He went there to take our place when we were at enmity with God. And through the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have been delivered from Adam. We are no longer a part of Adam's race. We are now part of the family of God. But if we were to lose that relationship, if there was some sin that we could stumble into that would cause us to have that wonderful relationship and that glorious promise nullified, then we would be translated back into the old man. I don't read that in Scripture, but some say that that is true. When we have the promise, as Jesus gave in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 17, that I will give you a white stone, and then that stone, a new name written. That white stone is the stone of acquittal. Back in those days when a man stood to be condemned by the judge and sentenced to death, if he was guilty, he pulled out a black stone and he was sentenced to death. If he pulled out a white stone, he was acquitted and set free. And Jesus said, I have given you a white stone. If we could lose our salvation, he must take that white stone back and give us a black stone. Does that make any sense to you? But there are some say that you can lose your salvation. We then who have been promised, as we read in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 5, that he would not blot out our name from the Lamb's book of life. For we read, as promised, they that overcome and they that overcome are based upon what we read in 1 John chapter 5 beginning with verse number 3 through verse number 4. Our faith is what gives us the ability to overcome sin and overcome evil and overcome this world, and that faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we were to lose our salvation, then what has been blotted out, which the Lord Jesus Christ said He will not blot out, somehow we would have to go in there and put those sins back in. How would we do that? It makes no sense. But they argue, but they can be blotted out because Jesus said they could be blotted out. They argue in Revelation chapter 22, verse number 18 through 20. We might want to read that. In verse number 22, I mean Revelation 22, verse number 18, Jesus said, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And they argue, well, there it is. That is proof that you can lose your salvation. Well, my argument to that would be simply this. It doesn't say my name. It says my part. It's not talking about the saved. The saved know better than to tamper with God's Word. 
but the lost, they don't know better. And the Apostle Paul made it very clear, if you will look over in Galatians, he made it very clear that if we tamper with the gospel, and then we put ourselves under a curse. If I can find it here, I believe it's somewhere in Galatians. Oh boy, I thought I had. I thought I had it here. Just a moment, I, I need to find this for you. Galatians, somewhere in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. He says in verse number 6, I marvel, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be a curse. That's an anathema. And we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be a curse. You see... <clears throat> There are people that have changed the gospel. We call them Mormons. And uh, they've added books to the Bible. Those people aren't saved that do that. There are Jehovah Witnesses that have deliberately translated the Bible to understand what their doctrine wants to teach, and they have deliberately changed some of the meaning of God's Word. Those people are lost. And those that are guilty of doing that have cursed their souls, they have removed from the Lamb's book of life the place where their name could have been written, and they have brought themselves under a curse. Any lost person that would do that would bring themselves under a curse. We know better. Saved people don't tamper with the Word of God. Saved people believe the Word of God. We're not talking about saved people. We're talking about lost people. But they believe that there are saved people out there that can go that far. No, if you go that far, if you sin willfully, if you commit some sin that's habitual, you're not saved. Because if you're truly saved, God gives repentance. Yes, you may stumble. Yes, you may fall. But you're going to get back up and go again. If you think that you're at a place to where you've never sinned, then you deceive yourself. You either call God a liar or you make yourself a liar because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 8, if we say that we're without sin, then we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, then we make Him a liar. And then He says, My little children, I write unto you that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Amen. I don't know where these people are coming from. But this is what they teach. They go as far as to say in John's Gospel chapter 10 and verse number 28 through 29, when Jesus said, I give unto you eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. For my Father which gave them me and greater than and greater is he are and, and my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Then who then is able? Well then they say, wait a minute, you are able. If you don't want to be in the father's hand, he'll let you go. Doesn't God refer to us as adults or children? Which is it? He refers to us as his dear children. If you're so silly that you want to be plucked from the Father's hand and walk right into the mist 
of an incoming freight train that's going to take you to an eternal place called the lake of fire, will your loving father let you go? If you were to take a son or a daughter, a child, by the hand and cross them, Vista Chino, and there's traffic coming in both directions in the middle of that road, that child wants to be pulled loose from your hand. Is that child going to be able to pluck himself from your hand? Or are you greater? We have a heavenly father. He's not going to let you go. But there are some that say, oh, yes, yes. You got to examine the scripture, preacher. You haven't fully studied the word of God. You haven't gone over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You haven't read verse number 9 and 10. For in verse number 9 and 10 it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, nor none of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. They shall not. Notice what he says. They shall not, they shall not inherit. As it is written. According to what the Bible says, their argument is, if you go back into those sins, if you were delivered from being a drunkard and you go back to drinking, then you've lost your salvation. If you were delivered out of immorality, adultery, and you stumble back into that, then you've lost your salvation. But, you know, it, it says a lot more than that. It, it not only says idolaters and adulterers, but covetousness, revilers, extortioners. You extort somebody, you covet something that's not yours, you've lost your salvation. You know, the point is, it's just about... Every one of us probably have lost our salvation. Because I'm sure many people are guilty of doing those things. But no, they teach, wait a minute. If you've done those things, and you can go back to 1 John 1, verse number 9, he'll save you all over again. But until you confess those sins, you're lost and you're going back to that place called hell. You're back in the old man. The black stone is yours. Your name has been blotted out. But you can go back to 1 John 1, 9 and get it all back. No, that's not what we read in Hebrews chapter 6. If you have once tasted of the Holy Spirit, been born again, and should fall away to be renewed through repentance back unto salvation, he says would be impossible. Why? Because Christ would have to come and die all over again. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you read verse number 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think it gives us the answer. For in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 11, And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that keeps me secure. He's the Almighty God. He's the Everlasting Father. His love is enduring. His love could go beyond anything that I could ever do. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is caring. God is understanding. But God is also a Heavenly Father that hates sin. And even His children, they will be spanked. It doesn't give you a license to sin. It doesn't say it's okay to go out there and live like the libertines. No, you stumble back into sin. You stumble back into trouble. And God is going to chasten you. And God is going to spank you. And you're going to know that you've been whipped by Almighty God. And if you haven't been whipped by Almighty God, according to what we read in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 8, you're not sons of God, but bastards, illegitimate sons. Because you're without chastisement, which all of God's children are partakers of. Why? Because all of God's children still have to deal with the carnal flesh. We struggle with it every day. That's why we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, For he had made him to be sin. For us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, we are unrighteous. 
as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Because you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in your old rotten, corrupted flesh, you must understand that you struggle with it every day. And the old flesh is vile, and the old flesh is filthy, and it has to be brought every day under submission. Every day we have to die to its entice. Every day we have to die to its lust. We have a Savior in heaven that knows this. And He holds us responsible for what we do with this flesh, but He doesn't take back His promise. If He took back His promise, we would all be in trouble. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold into sin. And as much as I strive to live a holy and clean life every day, my precious wife reminds me I'm missing the mark. But by the grace of God, I am doing better. But the Holy Spirit reminds me much more than my wife or anyone else. And every now and then I have to bring it into check. This is the gift that God has given to us. He's a wonderful father. The apostle Paul made it very clear in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. You see Christ went to the cross and he took all my wicked vile sins all my favor, all my failures. He took everything that was about me. And, and there were a lot of bad things about Jim Nolan. If you knew everything about the life of Jim Nolan that I lived before I put my faith in Christ, and some things after I trusted Christ, you'd probably think, why am I following this guy? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's his grace that was bestowed upon me. There's nothing righteous about Jim Nolan. There's nothing righteous about you. And there's nothing righteous about this flesh until it is fully redeemed. But the Lord Jesus Christ paid it all. And he has condemned sin in the flesh by going to the cross and taking our sins and burying them in his own body and washing them with his own blood. And therefore we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified. Justified means that God sees us just as though we have never seen. Sanctified means that I've been set apart unto God, unto holiness and righteousness. That means that the Lord Jesus Christ has done something for me that no one else could ever do. My flesh can't do it. You can't do it. This church can't do it. The baptismal waters can't do it. There's no one that can do it. Only Jesus Christ. He has secured you forever. The heavenly father that sent his son. Gave him the power. Gave him the strength. Gave him the holy blood. Gave him all the tools that he needed to get the job done. And when Jesus on the cross said it was finished. He then cried out father. Because it was done. It was sealed and we are forgiven forever. This is the gift that we have. That is why he is called the everlasting father. When you receive him, he doesn't stop being your father. Before I put my faith in Jesus Christ, he was my God. But the moment I received Jesus as my savior, he became my everlasting father. He doesn't stop being your everlasting father, regardless where you stumble. Let me say in closing, then he becomes the prince of peace. You see, the greatest benefit of salvation is the assurance that I have it. And the only thing that can assure me that I truly have it is the peace of God. We read in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 5 that the peace of God which passeth all understanding is what keeps my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Oh yes, there are some times that I had stumbled and fell and I got to thinking how could a saved man go there? But somehow God gave me peace 
you're my child. I'm going to spank you for what you've done, but I'm not going to stop being your heavenly father. And just like some of you, there was a time or two that I would pray and say, Lord, if I'm not saved, then save me. And God would, he would somehow put guilt in my heart. Why are you doubting me? Why are you doing this? And so I learned to stop doing that and just start thanking God. Oh, God, I'm not worthy of your goodness. But I want to thank you for what you've done for me. I want to thank you that you have forgiven me. I want to thank you for 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13, where you've written unto me, These things have I written unto you, Jim Nolan, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the Son of God. And so, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you because I still believe in you. I haven't got to that place where I'm filled with unbelief. Friend, if you get there, then you never had it to begin with. You see, he that began a good work in you will finish it to the end. He is the builder and finisher of our faith. And when he begins a good work in us, he starts with peace. And as we grow closer to him, that peace grows even greater. As we submit, as we yield, as we live our life for him, we get to that place to where every day, we rejoice in the peace of God. I cannot help but think of what is said there in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. You see, Christmas is not about God giving peace to the world. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse number 14, the angels sang, or the heavenly hosts sang in the presence of the angels, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That comma was put there for a reason. The King James translators put that comma there because with the understanding from which it was translated from, it wasn't in reference to universal goodwill, but goodwill to those that believe. You see, if you go back... And you look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning with verse number 34. Jesus gave clarity to what this heavenly host was saying. When he said, think not that I have come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And the mother more than me is not worthy, and he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. You see, we live in a world today that isn't filled with the peace of Jesus, but with the hate of Jesus. And they want to do everything they can to cancel out the culture of Christianity. We cannot straddle the fence and love the world and love Jesus. So there is a division. And Jesus Christ made it very clear that he was born not to bring peace to this world, to bring a sword because he understood that they would put him to a cross they would not peacefully receive him but they would violently reject him and Jesus made it very clear that because they hated me and rejected me they will hate you and reject you you see there's something wrong when the world embraces you there's a form of Christianity out there that the world embraces but the kind of Christianity that preaches the word of God, they don't like. Where they must understand that they are guilty before God and they are filled with sins and there's a hell that Jesus Christ come to deliver them from. You see, when a son or a daughter would turn their back on Jesus to have a closer relationship with mom or dad because mom and dad hates Jesus, they're not worthy of Jesus. 
You see, when we're not willing to take up his cross and stand for Jesus, when others are willing to persecute us for doing so, and we back away from that cross, then we're not worthy of Jesus. We're not worthy of him when we think of the millions down through the church age that were pinned to the ground and their bellies were open and wild pigs were turned loose to eat grain from their bellies. We're not worthy of Jesus when more than 100,000 Christians were beheaded and their heads were impaled upon posts reminding those that were marching into Rome what would become of Christians if you took that kind of message into Rome. We're not worthy of Jesus when we think of the number of people today that are being imprisoned in places like China, in these other countries that are Muslim countries that crucify Christians and hurt Christians and put them in prison and behead them because they put their faith in Jesus. You see, it, there is a price we have to pay for our Christianity, and it may come very soon. God has given us a wonderful gift. But in this world, there's going to be trials and persecution. God, help us to be faithful and to stand firm. You see, the thing that God wants more than anything right now from we who put our faith in Him is for us to give Him our hearts. To completely sell out for Him. To live our lives for others. To do our best to snatch others from a burning hell that is going to burn for all of eternity. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There are those that will perish unless we tell. God help us. The message is powerful, but we got to take the book. The book has no power. If it's closed, it's got to be open. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But we have to go with the message. We're not taking the message. If the book closes after this service and you take that Bible, you carry it home and put it on your coffee table and it stays there until the next service, and then your message is closed. We have to open the book and tell somebody with every head bowed. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we ask that your power would rest upon us. Thank you, Lord, for giving to us such a great salvation, for giving us the wonder of your love, sending the Holy Spirit to be our counselor, Assuring us that you are the true and living and mighty God. That you have power to deliver us from sin. Power to keep us from evil. Power to lift us up when we stumble. Power, dear Heavenly Father, to hedge us up from those that would seek to destroy us. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for your everlasting love. A love that will never fail. A love that goes beyond all boundaries. A love that reaches down to the lowest pits of sin and pulled us up from the miry filth of our own sins. Lifted us upon a cross and placed us in Jesus Christ and washed us, purified us, and justified us, and sealed us with your Holy Spirit, and set us apart forever. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for that love. Thank you, Lord, for the love that you give to us in giving us discernment that keeps us from those that would seek to deceive us and cause us to fall into unbelief, or to fall into the fallacy of corrupt doctrine.
And then thank you for the wonderful blessing of peace. That you, the Prince of Peace, have given us peace in the midst of an evil and ungodly generation. Peace in knowing that everything's okay in my Father's house. And one day we'll be there to meet you. Lord, we look forward to that great day, and we thank you for that wonderful, wonderful message of salvation. Lord, we pray also for this dear lady that gave us this prayer request that is going through chemotherapy, is being treated for cancer. We ask, dear Heavenly Father, that you would bring healing to her body as well as to so many that have brought sufferings and heartaches into this house. Lord, we ask that your peace 